Hello and welcome to another episode of Humans of SDU. Today with Martin and Mishka and we are going to talk uh, with Rune, yet again another teacher and this time from the Department of American Studies. So enjoy. Welcome Rune and thank you for coming to our podcast and having us, <laughs> basically. Uh, we're kind of continuing our tradition to also bring, of also bringing uh, teachers. So we're happy we can get more of you on board. So yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, what we would actually want to start with is that I know you're teaching a course uh, called Broken Dreams uh, about how science fiction can relate to problems in civilization. So question on the spot: What science fiction word would you use to Describe COVID. <laughs> uh, what scientific work or word? I mean, what's the text? Or... Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there are many. I mean, uh, I mean, when it first came out, there were all these like ideas of zombies. I mean, we've had like zombie films and zombie games and so on for um, the past ten years. And obviously, people who get COVID won't turn into zombies, but that those are infection narratives. So I think we've sort of been primed from sort of pandemic coming on. And obviously, there was also like Contagion, the movie. Everyone was like watching on Netflix all of a sudden. Um, but, um, I mean, the, there, there is, um, there's a recent work came out in 2018 called Severance, um, by, um, Chinese American author, which is all about the pandemic sort of coming to, to swoop all over us. And that came just, you know, basically a year before that. So it's obviously, it's, it's something that's on people's minds has been for, for a long time. So, I, I mean, I think people can really make the connection because if you get tested, for example, in Onense, uh, the tents give you yeah. a really strong zombie apocalypse vibe. We, I mean, we've seen this. So, I mean, that this, it's, there's not. There were also contagion narratives in the '50s and '60s and so on, but there have been, you know, a lot of them recently over the past 10 years. And again, I think if we, you know, there, there are various monsters that have haunted it over the past. I mean basically through the centuries, you go back to dragons or whatever, like 500 years ago. But but the fact that 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 the zombie narrative has been the most prevalent narrative we've had, I think, um, it has, is it very much, you know, example of how we actually have been sort of waiting for this. I mean, not not consciously, I think, but there's been sense, sense of like, that you, we're getting like containment from, uh, containment, uh, containment, contagion from, from something, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we can all recognize that we've seen that in films. Uh, and it's it's very easy for us to sort of read ourselves into it, and that that might also be one of the reasons that, when it all happened to begin with, I think, hopefully people are a bit more positive now. But I mean, I certainly went into a bit of a, like a death spiral in terms of like, oh, this is just oh, now finally we're all going to be zombies, right? <laughs> I mean, but it's because it'd be like sort of been prepped for that. Yeah, but wouldn't you think that it would, it would make us more prepared? Since it seems that everybody just lost their minds. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean that that's one of the interesting questions because I mean I deal with like all these like horror narratives and gothic and science fiction and so on. It's dystopian, apocalyptic narratives. So so you can ask yourself the question like, are these helpful in terms of uh, being sort of a wake up call? We need to do something, or does it make us sort of turn into sort of to get like make us, you know sheer sort of apathy like do, do i just like am i paralyzed by this because i know oh it's all it's all gone now i might as well not do anything um so the cause of i was teaching they called broken dreams i mean it's sort of reference to Greta uh, thunberg and we've had like for years people saying oh, we have to be positive we have to do these various things but she said hell no i wake mm -hmm. up and smell the coffee the apocalypse is happening and the question is then do we then just give up and just you know drink ourselves to death 
uh, while playing computer games, whatever, or do we go out and try to do something about it to be activists and so on, right? And I think, and there's a bit of a double-edged sword here. I mean, it, it can be, it can be, be good for things, but it can also sometimes maybe make us, you know, maybe too much despair, basically. So, I mean, do we act on it or do we just sit back? So that's one of the great dilemmas I'm interested in in my research in terms of how horror and fiction and science fiction and so on works like that. Is there maybe some a conclusion that can come that can uh, come no. out of it? Because it seems like you can do neither. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I don't think there's any conclusion in yeah. some sense. Um, and I think obviously, I mean, if you look at like Hollywood disaster movies, uh, apocalyptic movies, and so on, a lot of that is is because it, like it look, you know, it's interesting to see stuff blow up. I mean, you like, buy popcorn, you you watch it, there's a yeah. spectacle of that, right? That's not really helpful in terms of, you know, helping the world or whatever. And you don't necessarily have to sometimes be nice to go to the cinema and just like watch stuff blow up, right? <laughs> zombies, eat everything. Um, but I think that um, when we talk about global warming, when we talk about these various things that could happen, I mean, it is in a way, even when we talk about the news, it is a sort of a science fiction way of doing it already. I mean, like science fiction has primed us for this. And, and the, the various narratives that we use in these situations are quite science fiction-y. It's not quite a word, but, you know, um, and, and even when they talk about the news, pol politicians and so on. So we use fictive uh, future uh, scenarios to say, is this what we want to do? Mm -hmm. When we talk about one degree, two degrees, eight degrees, um, we basically imagine what could happen so that we sort of try to sort of steer it another way. But again, it can also, you know, I think, you know, by dealing with this all the time, I mean, I'm very interested in it and stuff, but sometimes it also becomes too much. You sort of have to take a break and watch friends or something like <laughs> or whatever something new but yes so this is something you're also interested in your personal life yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, so the reason that i'm doing all these things i mean one of many reasons is because basically you know when as a teenage geek and i was also in, into these things uh and i was all i was just obsessed by it uh and also as a kid growing up in the 80s like the nuclear war basically looming over us right that's now being exclaimed by by climate change and pandemics and all the other things uh, that's happening right um, but then I, you know, in my professional life, I was like reading all the classics and uh, that you're supposed to do in university on the sort of high art. Mm -hmm. But then I realized at some point, actually, I could, you know, actually, I actually still write about the things like pop culture and uh, yeah, genre fiction, like science fiction and so on. Uh, but you do it in a hopefully, in, in you know, intelligent manner and to talk about real life events as well. So I've, I'm still also doing the other things, but um, I've, um, yes, it's very much basically I'm, I'm doing my hobby as a job in that sense. I mean, it goes for many academics, but it is actually, I mean, I mean the stuff I was just doing as a kid, I've now made a living out of. So that's, that's, that, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it, it could be despairing to read about all these horrible things, but I'm also just having like childish interest in it, I think. So that's helpful. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 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 I think you heard that. Yeah. <laughs> They pick up everything. Yeah. Okay. And maybe going back to the the COVID nineteen or all the pandemics, how did you personally perceive that, like in your personal life? What actually in terms of what happened? Yeah. Or if you have any connections? No, no. Yes, yes. I mean, so I was teaching this course again, Broken Dreams, and there there were everything from I can't remember. We had like alien. We had alien invasions as well. All sorts of fantastic sort of endings of the world, right? <clears throat> and then and climate change and so on. But we also had a couple of weeks of pandemics. Um, and I think actually I thought, oh, this is great uh, because the course is all about how can we use fiction again to talk about the real world and perhaps, you know, you know create political action. Um, but I thought at the time, oh, it's great. I'm just going to like 
take these it was week nine, let's take it to week five. Uh, and then we'd be reading it as, you know, as it, it was actually happening. But it was also a little bit depressing, I think, for some people. It was a bit too real in that sense. But in the feedback I got after the course, they actually said it was kind of nice to talk. I mean, everyone was talking about it. And, it, you know, you just really you get sick and tired of it. But because of having these fictive scenarios, actually was a way of sort of dealing with it in, in a sense. So there can also be a sort of therapeutic, I think, manative, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know. Not that that's necessarily the case for everyone, but but um, you know, using fiction to talk about you know what's really affecting you, and we were like sitting there on Zoom or on Kultura and whatever, and like trying to communicate with each other, you know, while everyone's contained in their flats talking about this. Um, so that was interesting. So yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's what's generally the the response of your students to to, to your syllabi? Because yeah, as you said, even for you, it sometimes can get too dark, too depressing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, and I'm, I mean, I'm not the only one. I mean, I lead a, obviously read a lot of criticism research on it, and I sometimes the forewords to these things, people saying like, sometimes you know, my my subject is too too dark. Um, but generally speaking, you know, students respond quite well to it. Um, it I think also again, there's this fascination about the the, the darkness and so mm -hmm. on. That that's why I mean, horror is such a <clears throat> or detective fiction as well, right? It's all mm -hmm. about murder. Uh, I mean, that is what fascinates us as, as human beings. Uh, and there's, I think there could, there, part of it is also, I mean, if you go back to the ancient Greek idea of catharsis, you know, you read these various things, you watch horror and so on, and then, you, then you're like, please, it's not me being knifed down by, you know, uh, the lunatic killer in the, the movie or the taken down with the pandemic in the book and so on. But of course, you know, when if, if it gets too close to, um, to home, then it can be quite depressing. I mean, that, that's something like, if you ever watch like uh, Black Mirror, uh, the, the sci-fi mm -hmm. TV, um, a television a series on, on Netflix. Um, one of the reasons that it's so great, but also one of the reasons it's so depressing. I mean, I can only watch one episode and I have to wait two weeks. This is something yeah. you cannot binge. No, 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 no. And it's also, I mean, it's often, I often ended up doing like on a Sunday when I was like, you know, the end of the week and it's really bad. Especially like <laughs> out the night before having hangovers, like really bad idea. But what is so amazing about... Um, the Black Mirror is that it is so very close to home. I mean, it's like it's science fiction, but it's just in the near future, right? And of course, it's become famous for this. But several of the episodes are actually the stuff they sort of said what happened happened, right? With sort of social credit system in China, whether it's like uh, Trump getting elected, there's mm -hmm. an early ver version of it that sort of predicts something similar to this, and that's why it's so great. But it's also why it's so uncomfortable, I think, and it's just you know because it. If it's only happened two hundred years into the future, then fine. But if it's if it's close to close to home, yeah, it can be, yeah, uncomfortable as I said. Yeah. But on the on the other hand, I feel like it's it's something that people are getting used to very quickly. I mean, yeah. first the, like the social credit system in China yeah. was like okay, in China yeah. there's gonna be, but now it's like okay, well, yeah, no one actually really cares. I think. Yeah. Well, so at least yeah, well some people do, but in the public mainstream media, it doesn't have so much attention as it when it. Yeah, started. Well, I mean, so, I think that so what, <clears throat> one thing is, first of all, change of any kind, we sort of tend to resist, right? Yeah. And that was also like 150 years ago, whenever it was, when they introduced like the steam engine and, and, you know, trains, there were like discussions about whether the human body would fall apart if they, if you go like 40 miles per hour, there were like serious scientific discussions about would you, you know, yeah. would your bone space just fall out, mm -hmm. right? That didn't happen. People on trains is fine. So part of it is it's just also resistance to change. But I think there is a difference Nowadays, just in this, the the speed at which things happen, yes. right? And it, it, it is difficult for you know cognition or 
bodies, whatever. I mean, the, the way that we, we have to change very quickly uh, to, to adapt to these, these, these novel changes through technology. And some of it is great, and, and some of it is you know, not so great. Um, but I also think like science fiction, for instance, is very good at actually, you know, casting a critical light on this. Um, also, you know, saying th this is positive and, and th this can be ne negative. Um, so yes, that sense. But there, there, also, there is, of course, also this utopian science fiction as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, Frederick Jameson, this, this uh, famous American critic, basically said that, that um, more or less that all science fiction is at heart utopian. That was, you know, we don't have to agree with him that. But there are, there are also, of course, positive visions. And, and some people might also say, well, if we think about global warming, pandemics and so on, should we perhaps not have hopeful messages? I mean, if we all watch like Black Mirror all the time, we're going to be so depressed, we might not be able to do anything. So perhaps we should have visions of hope as well, right? So that, that also exists in science fiction. It's not all bleak, though. Mostly. Right. Mostly it is, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And maybe just uh, going back to your academic uh, career. So we heard, or you said before we started this interview, that you visited many places. Yeah. So maybe could you take us through your yes. uh, journey, how, how you get to how the I, how I ended up here? here. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, I did my um, initial degrees at Copenhagen, University of Copenhagen in English and Philosophy. Uh, and then I did my PhD in London at Goldsmiths College, um, where I stayed for three, four years and was teaching there a bit. And then after that, I had sort of teaching jobs, various places, Copenhagen and, and so on. And then I went to New York for you to do my postdoc. Um, and then after that, uh, later on, I got a job in Glasgow at, at Strathclyde University there. So I was there for two and a half years before I then got this job. So so I've sort of been around um, a, a few cities uh, um, and then universities. So I've actually been teaching five or six departments um, around the world. Um, and was a lecturer in English in uh, Strathclyde in um, Glasgow before this. Yeah. And then five or six years ago, I got this job here. Yes. And do you have any plays that like stick to your heart that you well, come coming back? They all, they all, I mean, they all do. It's, it's different. Obviously, like Ulans is it's different to New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just as Glasgow is very different, different to, to Copenhagen. I might know actually Glasgow and Copenhagen are closer to each other, but... Um, but I mean, they, they all have their, you know, uh, their various charms. Um, but I mean, I think probably I mean London because that's where I moved after, you know, having, I'm, I'm from Copenhagen and I didn't grow up in Copenhagen. I've lived all over Denmark, but um, when I was 18, I moved back. So I'm, I'm a Copenhagen in that sense, but you know, moving to London when I was like 26 and this massive city was just, you know, that made a huge impact. And I think also I went to London the first time when I was 13 to visit my aunt and uncle. And I think that that was just a sort of a seminal event. I, that was maybe one of the things that en ended up me doing like English and American studies, I think. Um, just just visiting just, London. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I took the bus over there when I was like 13. I, yeah. I got on this and I didn't quite know what to expect. I mean, I, I got in with the, the white clips of Dover. This sounds like yeah. I'm making mm -hmm. up really. And there was a fog there as well. It's like the most English thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then there was a fog in London as well. I just, I'd be reading Sherlock Holmes and stuff. It's just this explosion in my mind. Like there's a one, I'm living like in a novel or something. I want to go back here. So... So yeah, I mean, yeah. So it was great to live there, but also in New York and, and Glasgow, obviously, also amazing places. So yeah. So any plans of going back there, perhaps? Um, well, um, I, I mean, now I have kids, so that's kind of difficult to just um, you know transplant them elsewhere. So, but you know, once they've grown up and moved out, <laughs> sure. I mean, there are many cities <laughs> I haven't lived in yet. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of them, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, Tokyo, other places I would love to go. Yes, um, yes. So. That maybe at some point, but probably not the next decade or so. But yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, talking about kids, we also heard that you are going on the on paternity leave. Paternity leave. Yeah. Is this the first time? Uh, no, it's the second time. So it's my second kid. I've, but I had paternity leave six years ago. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it. This may be very international <laughs> mindset. Uh, and non, not Danish, but we, this is not what we're really used to in our country. So no. why? I yeah. mean, why? That's, that's the question that comes to mind. Why? Why? Why, do why you, I'm taking yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, because it's possible. So mm-hmm. yes, I mean, many. I mean, some countries. Uh, I mean, in America, for instance, it's very difficult even to get mm-hmm. maternity leave. Um, but obviously, I mean, I mean, I think Sweden has the best system, and they they can actually go on I mean, combined maternity paternity leave. I think for up to two years. But oh, in wow. Denmark, we have what. 12 years, not 12 years, <laughs> 12 months uh, of, of sort of combined, or close to 12 months mm-hmm. of sort of paid, of at least to some extent paid uh, maternity, paternity leave. And you can basically split it between the, the mother and father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm just taking two months, but, but you know, you, you can uh, take longer than that as well. But obviously, you know, when, when they're infants, they tend to be biologically quite, you know, nice to be close to the mother. So yeah, I'm, I'm taking two months off to, to yeah. Be with him. So before he goes to go to sort of childcare after that. So are you looking forward? I think it must be quite nice because usually, if it's like this kind of what would you call it a traditional model of as we have in the Czech Republic, when the maternity leave it's only like for for women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it feels like that the, the father can just kind of miss yeah. some part of the. No, it's, it's nice. I mean, I've you know I've done it before with my daughter. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, of course, the first couple of weeks you have to get used to it because it's like. You know, you, you you may have like great plans of doing stuff, but you can't really. <laughs> it's like like this like low impact busyness. You know, they don't really need that. I mean, they need attention, but yeah. it's not you know it's not like stressed like in, like doing a lecture or whatever. But they just obviously need to be constantly careful of them not killing themselves and so on, <laughs> food and whatever. Um, but once you get into the rhythm of it, it's actually really nice because they sort of sound out and you don't really have to answer emails and so on. I mean, and, and the timing is perfect in terms of the pandemic, just because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd be like, it's really nice to be back teaching. We have people physically in the room, which I really missed in the spring. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's a taxing because we have to like teach online and, and, and you know, uh, in class and so on. Um, so it, it, I think all the reasons the second week is going much better. Um, so actually probably an entire semester would have been fine. But it's also nice to know that four, four weeks from now, I'm, for two months, I'm going to go off and basically just read books and, you know, change diapers and stuff, like <laughs> hang out in museums, whatever. So yes. And yes, it is It is a good way of, you know, getting to know your kid because, you know, if you're away working all the time. When, when I'm down here, I live in Copenhagen, sometimes away for 12 hours, I obviously don't get to mm-hmm. see, you know, yeah. anyone in my family much. And so yes. So it's a great bonding time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe after that you will also miss the other kids. Yeah, the kids yeah. in oh. university. <laughs> oh yeah, then, yeah, yeah. they come back you know, in the spring and then teach the kids. Yes, yeah. What about when your kids grow up a bit? Do you also want to lead lead them the way you are going in, in no, pop no. culture? No. Oh no, no I mean that. Yes, I mean they're getting indoctrinated. I mean, uh, indoctrinated. So, no, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying. I, I don't want my kids to do what I do. I mean, they're fine. I, I like my job. I love my job. But I mean, if they want to do something totally different, that's fine. Uh, I mean, for instance, my my daughter who's almost seven has started football practice and surprisingly quite good at it because I mean I know nothing about it and not, not interested in it um, but it's like so now I'm like going to football practice stuff I think that's that's great I mean I had no interest in it and I'm really really bad at it but um, so you have maybe yeah no, I mean you know whatever she wants to yeah. do that that's fine I just um, it's such a cliche I just want to be happy but but I mean obviously they're in in my home and so on and, and I'm a massive geek so I, I, 
I, I, I mean, I played these board games with my daughter, like this basically like role-playing game, sort of went into a board game. So we play that together. Like we, we like paint you know, various figures and whatever. Um, I can see Star Wars in front of me in the studio on yeah. the T-shirt here. <laughs> uh, and like Disney Plus opens today, which means that we now have, I mean, I've, I've signed up for that. <laughs> And which means that all the Star Wars uh, movies are available. And I, you know, so th this weekend we're going to, she hasn't seen them yet. So, so that's the plan. So, I mean, I'm, you know, bombarding her with, you know, geek stuff. So science fiction, fantasy, whatever. It must be really fun to have this, this new, new person to mold. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, also because she's now, she's now getting to the, to the age where we are actually sort of starting to overlap in, in terms of interest. Because, I mean, Peppa Pig and so on, you know, it's fine. I actually, I'm mildly interested in Peppa Pig, but after 10, 15 <laughs> minutes, it's, you know, two and three years old. They can watch her for hours. But, um, but like now we can watch like uh, E.T., all the stuff that I watched when I was a kid in the 80s. And then also some of the newer stuff that she likes, uh, or uh, Miyazaki and so on. I mean, she can actually watch some stuff that's like has got a bit more of an edge to it right now. So, so that, that, that's now, yeah, getting to be, be more interesting like that in terms of like shared interests. That's a new kid they're making. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just came to my mind, how is she like uh, coping with, uh, because I, now maybe I just uh, missed the word for when you, you don't like uh, translate or dub, would you call it? You no, don't no, no. Mm, well, for kids, well, they, yes, dubbing, yeah, but for kids of a certain age. So I think the first Harry Potter movies, which she's watched for them on, um, I mean, they are actually, they, they exist with like um, Danish dubbing, mm -hmm. but yeah. you know, once you get further into it, when it gets like dark and dark, they only exist uh, with, with subtitle and she can't read yet. Yeah, that's why, because when you mentioned like Miyazaki, I don't know. Yeah, like but those are, those are actually, most of them are dubbed. Really? Okay. Uh, it depends on what, I mean, because some of them are too dark for it to be dubbed, so they basically decided not to. Uh, but a good example, I, I watched The, the Labyrinth, this early 80s movie with, with um, David Bowie, yeah. which I, I was a massive fan of and I watched it but then I basically sort of translated for her as we go along or Ghostbusters for instance also we watched okay. you know so it's just sort of yeah but it's a bit draining in the sense that you don't have to sit there for two hours sometimes you can just put a movie on she'll do that but it's also kind of a nice thing to do together so yeah so, so that that's how we get around that but yeah but it's also sometimes, you know, I'm not always that great at, at figuring out when it's appropriate. For <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was at, uh, is when I animated a movie with the uh, penguins, I can't, what is it called? Happy Feet. Happy, Happy Feet, oh, yeah, okay. Happy Feet. But I, I mean, I, I managed to get a hold of that when she was like three years old and then put it on and didn't all of a sudden these like sharks come along and she's just horrified. <laughs> so it's, you know, they could, if, it's the same thing here. Like if they need to, you know, if they need me to dub it, I mean, I'm, should perhaps reconsider whether it's appropriate for or not. So, you know, that's a good, yeah, yeah thinking about that. So apart from pop culture and obviously not football. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing against it, which is not very interested in it, yeah. Do you have any other interests? Uh, yes, um, I mean, lots of, I mean, obviously love reading in films and I'm, as a I'm a gamer as well um so I still play in the you know uh, in my 40s play computer games which I've had my first computer when I was six uh, I used to play like uh, massive amounts of role-playing games and board games I still play board games sometimes you know when you get on in age and you have have more kids and my friends have kids it's really difficult to like uh, make a full you know for days on end like geek out with various things but we do meet up and play role-playing games and so on so it's basically just like kids things still but um but um, yes, that, that's, that's what I do in my free time as well. Um, when I'm not like busy tending to you know, uni stuff or family really business. So yes. 
And does it somehow in also influence like your outlook on life if you're still like, you call it the tit stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. disagree. I, I yeah, no, no, very no, 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 no. Okay, but it's not a derogative, but it is often considered to be. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think what is the, the average gaming age now is like thirty-five or yeah. something like that, right? And lots of more people, and also the gender divide. It's 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 much more even now. Uh, and I, I mean, when I go to like these like board game cafes and so on, which are huge now, I mean, it, I mean, we always get so glad because there's a fairly wide, wide uh, age range and and gender and uh, all sorts of things. And then there are still like sort of, uh, I mean, it was, it was really embarrassing when I was when I was a teenager. You're not supposed to do it. Nowadays, you see like, everyone like doing it. It's really nice to see that it's not like sort of. A thing that that's supposed to be a bad thing to do, and it's like you know, Stranger Things, all the different things, uh, all the eighty things become like a cool thing to do, and I that really that just makes me really happy, you know, as a you know old yeah. geek in that sense, right? I mean, yeah, definitely, especially in Denmark, board games are yeah, yeah, that's are, that's very true. Just really, yeah, yeah, really yeah, huge. Yeah, but it's I mean, yes, I mean that 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 um, yes, child just call it what you want, but it's it's just the fact that you know things you're supposed to grow out of whatever, but actually mm -hmm. you know lots of people are not growing out of it, and it's just become a you know very day part of life that that makes me quite happy and sort of yeah. Um, it's a good time to be a geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and lots more people have, have become geeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that that's. When I, I mean, I, was, I mean, like Game of Thrones. I remember when it first came out, I was quite resistant for the first couple of seasons because it was like I'm sort of like I'm, I'm done with dragons. I've done it to death, <laughs> right? And then at one point, I was like sitting somewhere, like with like these like uh, like designer people and uh, a software developer, whatever people like with other interests. They were like all of a sudden like massively into dragon decks and so on. I don't realize this has become a much wider phenomenon. Like Game of Thrones. Some of the other uh, big series have made it like totally okay, and people totally geeked out about you know the family trees, the interrelations, whatever, the mythology of it, and everyone's doing it. So it's become sort of a mainstream phenomenon. So it's if you have those like high school movies from the eighties or nineties, where it's like these American high school movies or college movies, where it's mm -hmm. all about there's always like the the jock making fun of the geek, who then the end you know, comes through and so on, right? That's not really the case anymore. I mean. Book Smarts, if you've seen that uh, film, came out a couple of years, maybe last year. But it really sort of undermines the whole idea of the geek as being sort of someone on the periphery. It's basically just we're all of us geeks nowadays. So. And do you also see it when you, I don't know how, if you can sort of see it in, in the students that come to uni every year. Yeah. Do you see it changing? Well, I see it definitely as, um, I mean, also, I mean, a lot of those students tend to end up with me because they people know that's what I'm doing, <laughs> like, like, you know, and some of my colleagues here say, like, you know, I don't do zombies, yeah. like, go to Rooney. <laughs> so that, that's, you know, that maybe not giving me the, you know, a bit of a skewed view on it. But definitely that there's, there seems to be more of it, yes, mm -hmm. in terms of the papers I see and so on. And I think it's also, I mean, because there are people like me saying it's fine. It's, it's okay to take pop culture seriously. I mean, you can also look at really bad culture and say something interesting about it, like B-movies and so on. Mm -hmm. it, it does tell us something about society in general. It's not just a... Sort of supposedly high art that that that's useful and you know in terms of analyzing it. But also that that kind of brings us to the beginning of the discussion. Your what you were explaining was how humanities, which is gen which are generally frowned upon in society, as a sort as a humanities treasure myself, I can <laughs> confirm that that yeah. nobody really takes your degree seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. So but you, what you were describing is that it it does really have value. Yes, I mean it, it's all. I mean. When like people making fun of humanities, which they do a lot, right? If they then figure out, and I remember like like ten years ago, I've seen like uh, articles and stuff on it. You know, they were basically saying like, okay, I'll, like people go to the, the university to study zombies, so you for real. 
But I mean, what I think it, it's important to realize is that that you know um, we have a culture of you know high art, uh, low art, whatever. Um, but 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 again, like pop culture is a very you know valid thing to study, and I think it is uh, it's, it's something that concerns all of us, and it's also again something that reflects something apart from just what's on the surface, and that's very very interesting and can can be quite useful. And I think also during the pandemic, I mean. There were all these things, discussions about culture not getting enough money. I mean, everything else was looked after, but but you know, people, you know, artists, uh, musicians, and so on. Uh, there was various governments were quite slow to give them money to help them through and so on. But what everyone was doing during the pandemic was culture. I mean, people were binge watching Netflix, they were reading novels, they were listening to music and so on. That's what people. Of course, we also need food and all these things. Obviously, very important and medicine. But what was people helping people through the pandemic was culture. So I think that's, I mean, it's just very obvious that just how important culture is. Uh, and in terms of because we need other forms of sustenance rather than just air and water and food and so on. Yeah, I don't know how Maybe it right. goes with the the biblical. Uh, I don't know the, the real translation, but not not only buy a bread. On, you yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah. I just know that the Czech, <laughs> yeah. Czech version of that I don't want to. Yeah, I, I can't help you with Bible. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, is that a biblical? You, yeah, you it's know? like you yeah. don't need only bread to to yeah. live, but yeah. to live with the. Well, you, you, I mean, the, you know. the thing, of course, I mean, if you can just just to keep your organism going, you know, obviously you need food and so mm -hmm. on. Yeah, and so, it, but yeah, but the, yeah, the, the thought is that, that you also need a food for the. You need sort of some sort of well, like spiritual. It doesn't have to be sort of supernatural, whatever. But you need some sort of sustenance, cultural, mm -hmm. spiritual, and uh, like Cormac McCarthy's The Road, for instance, which is this. Uh, like very dark novel about the end of the world basically this also made it into a film with Viggo Mortensen it's a very very dark book um a beautiful book but but it's it's um but that book is all about the fact that 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 we have like a man and a boy in a world that's totally ravaged the, the biosphere is gone there's nothing left and almost not any humans left either but the humans who are left are all like fighting to survive and the the, the father says to the boy constantly my job is to keep you alive that's what gives me my humanity that is my finest job to keep you alive, and the boy is like there must be more to to than this. Just pure survival is not enough, and if it's just pure survival, pure biological survival, I would prefer not to be alive, and then then I'm not human anymore. I'm I'm just a, an okay. organism, and there must be something here that that sort of elevates us beyond this. So, um, that book is all about the fact. If you, and also, of course, if you don't have enough water and food and whatever, you can also not be cultural because you need this this sort of sustenance in here. But then, of course, in you know. What does that say about a culture, generally speaking? Um, uh, and, and what is the good life in that sense? Or at least what is a bearable life? And, and to do that, uh, you need, I think you need like, various stories and so on, and music and all the, you know, other things that are often sort of looked down upon because it's not a bridge or a car or, you know, some sort of product you can buy or whatever, in the same sense as, you know, if you're an engineer or whatever. And that's not to, like the engineers have made it, when, you know, doctors, we need them, definitely we do, but we also do need people in the humanity, I think, yeah. obviously. I guess we can agree upon that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to argue against that. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyways, we can end it up with uh, the last question. We usually uh, ask our guests what is their life hack if they have any th sort of thing that helps them go through the life with an ease. And well, well, I life hack. Mm, I have to be the same thing. I mean, I think <laughs> no. I mean, I mean books. I mean, I, 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 I do all the other things. I'm, I'm not a snob when it comes down to as you know any sort of medium, whatever, like gaming, film, whatever, internet. 
Um, but I mean, I think when I was like six, my I was like really bored, and my my mom was just like, well, you know, learn how to read, you know, move on. <laughs> and I so I was like, okay. And then I did that, and then I think after that, it, everything just became much easier. Like for something just like if if everything is like really really crap, I always go read. And I used to like um, when I was like you know in my teenage years and before that, if there was something like. You know, you're not probably quite able to respond to that, uh, you know, at that young age. But if something like depressed me or whatever, like something like upset me, I'd go back, and this is like embarrassing, but I'd go back and reread like the Lord of the Rings, the first two volumes of it, I'd, like obsessively over and over. Like every time I go into that, there would be like the sort of like, it'd be fine, I'm okay, be in that world. And of course, that's a bit of an es es uh, escapism, but sometimes you need that, and then you can go out and face the world again, right? And that's the same thing with you know, yeah, books. I mean, I love when I read, I can just totally zone out. I mean, which my family and everyone around me is really annoyed by because it's like, what are you doing? Just sitting there and everything. And it's like, you know, also something I think a little bit jealous of sometimes. But that as a sort of a safe space in that sense. And also, you know, you, you learn a lot from it and so on, but also just as a space to retreat to. So that that's my particular life hack. You know, would you put in books or culture in general, yeah. which I devour in massive amounts, obviously. <laughs> well, all right, Ryan. Thank, thank you very so much, much for, uh, thank you for, for talking to us. Yeah. Alright, and that will be the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening, and if you want to check out Rune's Monsters, then visit our Instagram or Facebook, and 